welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World on this special edition as we come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We also come your way via podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. Uh, that you folks are reposting us to, and we thank you for doing that. We also encourage you to uh, spend time going within during this, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, uh, and uh, we hope that you will do just that because you're going to find out a lot about yourself, uh, I guarantee you, and it's going to be a, a good thing that we hope that you will, um, you will enjoy. Uh, we are also hoping that you can support us financially. And if you can, if you can, and we greatly appreciate those who have and who will, we have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all those who have and will support uh, this program and what we are trying to accomplish through our various guests. I also want to let you know, too, that we're probably upwards of 32,000 listens on SoundCloud. And uh, that is very exciting. To that end, I want to mention that I just put into uh, the Google search um, the name of our guest today and uh, the title of his book. And you are, uh, I'm, I am actually gratefully surprised that it comes up third from SoundCloud. Our guest today is Anthony uh, Brinkley. You can't run from you. And it's on Tell Me Your Story on SoundCloud, and it's the third item listed. Now, Anthony, that's pretty cool, and welcome back to the program. It is, it is a pleasure to be back, my friend. And um, again, uh, talking to you the first time, it let me know that um, it reminded me of some of the goodness that's in this world and the messaging that needs to come out. So thank you again. Well, you're very welcome. I'm also, like I say, very grateful that uh, I don't know how the algorithm works, but that your interview uh, and so forth, when I put your name and the title of your book, uh, came up number three on the list from SoundCloud. So that interview is available. All you have to do, folks, if you want to listen to our first interview, of course, when this one's done, who knows, maybe it'll come up third or fourth. Um, just, just go to Tell Me Your Story on SoundCloud and uh, type in Anthony Anthony Brinkley, or uh, you, uh, you basically, <clears throat> you uh, can't run away from you. That is the title of uh, the book that we're going to be talking about today. But the subject matter, as I've said many times, Anthony, um, the universe asks the questions. I'm just along for the ride, okay? So I don't know where we're going to be going with this, but let's uh, introduce ourselves. Let's, let's have you introduce yourself to our, get, our listeners in terms of refreshing our memory of, who, uh, of what, what you're all about in terms of this aspect of how, in spite of what we heard in the 60s about kids not wanting to go to college and wanting to take off, maybe go to Europe, maybe hike the Appalachian Mountains or, or the Rocky Mountains or whatever it is, and they would use the phrase, Mom and Dad, I'm not going to school. I'm going to go travel, and I'm going to go try to find myself. And the reality is you don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> it's great to travel. Don't get me wrong. I love to travel. But in terms of finding oneself, you don't really have to do that. So how did that particular journey for you, Anthony Brinkley, begin? Uh, it began, uh, I was born in North Carolina. And then shortly after being born, I was whisked away 
to Stanford, Connecticut with my family in um, the initial part of my life. I, 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 it was pretty normal to up to about the age of five. And then one day I thought we were just going for a family drive and we ended up at a hospital where I began a six month odyssey of going through chemotherapy, other forms of treatment in association with um, having tuberculosis. And for, for me, that began a mindset and an odyssey of being dealing with separation anxiety, dealing with um, depression, dealing with feelings of rejection. And so then I started to try to become a high achiever, um, acquire accomplishments and successful elements of life to try to let myself know that I was okay. And so then I joined the Air Force, served about 30 years and had a modicum of success working with some great people. But to your question specifically, um, I would I would try to run from one thing to the next, trying to acquire something that was actually inside of me. So until I went back and addressed what happened as a pre-adolescent, which, which changed my orientation to myself and my world, um, the, the, the journey to acquire was not an external, it was an internal journey. The journey to acquire and to understand was not a, a, an ex external journey, but it was, it was introspective. So I tell people that until you can acknowledge kind of what you've gone through, you can't really build upon it and move forward. So that's the short answer. And it's a huge answer because uh, a lot of people, they uh, go on those kinds of journeys and they sometimes they'll get stuck. <laughs> was it a, was it a um, fearful or scary time connecting with and learning about self? Uh, because uh, obviously we have what it's referred to in some uh, circles as we have the our shadow side our dark side if you will as well as our light side um how was that for you the painful side to be quite candid um was for me was the thing that i did not like uh, with feeling abandoned uh maybe people not f f um, following through on what they assessed they would do claim they would do i became what i didn't like so the painful part was as I tried to get away from my circumstance, I actually transformed into something that I didn't want to be. So the pain wasn't caused so much from doing the introspection and reflection. It was more caused from responding to not dealing with the circumstance. So to me, um, the pain of remaining the same, it, 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 was, it, it, it screamed out like you can't keep doing this anymore. So that far outweighed, you know, getting getting uncomfortable. So it was more uncomfortable, you know, dealing with people in a less than appropriate way. It was more uncomfortable um, trying to hide or put on a mask every day. And, and so to me, I just got tired of um, expending energy on something. And then once I figured out it was okay to accept myself and the people that was in my, my inner circle, they embraced me. So it really wasn't as scary as I thought. It was just, it was less painful. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with an insightful man like yourself if I hadn't done that. You know, I, I have to say that uh, in my life, uh, I'm 60, and I've been through personal growth programs and these kinds of things over the years. And um, I think one of the key phrases I remember hearing, especially to those, myself included, who moaned and groaned and complained on the first evening, 
about how I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. This is this is going to this is going to be hard, you know, or or uh, this is not really for me. This is for other people who are whatever. And one of the statements that was made and it stayed with me ever since, no matter where I am, no matter what circumstance I find myself in, I hear this phrase. Folks, if you did not want to be here, you would be somewhere else. But and. you must want to be here because guess where you are? You're here. Right. Now, they didn't necessarily say, now, if you don't want to be here and you want to leave, go. They did not open it up to that, <laughs> to that degree. Right. But right. they were, what they were basically saying is wherever you are is where you want to be. Because if you didn't want to be where you are, you'd be somewhere else. Now, it sounds a little catch-22-ish. That may be true. But I think it's very true. When you started going down this journey, and you refer to the dark, your dark side, your shadow side, as the painful side. Um, do you still, is there some kind of practice, some kind of um, aspect of your life, your, your life's uh, process, if you will, uh, where you will touch upon it from time to time to try to continue to, so to speak, take the sting out of the pain. In other words, the more you revisit those painful places, the less painful they become? That's a really good question. Um, I think, yes. You know, the more that you... Well, let me, let me, let me frame it this way. Okay. I believe pain is fuel. It's like if you have a tank of gas and it's sitting outside exposed right now, if there's nothing, if there's nothing, it hits it, it just sits there. But, but if a spark hits that thing, it can burn up everything around it, even a container that's holding it. So pain can fuel you. It can burn up something or used appropriately. It can move you in the right direction. So for me, I, I have allowed my pain to become instructive because pain is not static. It, it, it's going to, it's going to move you in a direction. So as I continue to revisit the circumstances that caused me discomfort, they now have become curriculum because I've dealt with the emotional elements of the pain. And now I'm saying, what can I extract from the pain to learn just to continue to become a better person and then convey that people can embrace their pain uncap it or and then deal with it in a protective fashion where it can propel them forward and not consume them from within that is uh would you say that that's a big problem that folks have in dealing with their pain they let it consume them they let it take over instead of going through it right i I believe that in most cases if you look at a lot of um uh, people that are therapists, they will tell you to avoid pain. That's that's part of their curriculum that they teach people. And I, I, I totally disagree with that. I believe that you have to embrace it and understand it and unpack it. But if we tell you to avoid pain, you become those that the, the 5% of Americans that make up the world population that consume 85% of prescription narcotics in the world. So we find ways to avoid things and then we just replace it or we project it on to something else. So yes, I am a, um, I believe that we culturally as a community, as a, as a, as a, as a country, we have taught people that avoidance is the best method because if someone hears something that you have as a vulnerability, it's going to lessen you. No, it's not. 
It's going to educate you about yourself and it's going to let you know who's really on your side. And if, if someone would uh, evaluate you negatively because you're trying to unpack something, maybe inartfully at the time because it's the first time you're dressed and they hold it against you, they're probably not someone you should have in your life anyway. Don't let that person or concept or response dissuade you from doing the work. Hmm. And that can happen, too, in a lot of circumstances because people seem to love to give advice and they seem as though they know what's best for you. Uh, we've heard, I'm sure you've probably heard this. Anthony, you know what? I know you better than you know yourself. And, and, and the first thought that comes to my mind, Anthony, is how is that even possible you aren't with me 365 days a year, 24-7. I am. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure that's probably crossed your mind as well. Yeah, I would say, again, the odds of being born from a statistical uh, standpoint is one in 400 trillion. So when you're born, you basically hit the lottery in life. Um, and then there's a reason, like when I joined the military and did other things where it required background checks and they took they took fingerprints, because no thumb and other elements of my hand have ever been configured like mine. So when someone tries to tell you that they know you intimately and things of that nature, that shows me their ignorance and it shows me their lack of awareness. And, and a lot of times in life, we like to accuse others and excuse ourselves. So as long as, as long as you're the project, then we don't have to deal with me. Mm. So again, um, I, I would just say people who are that presumptuous, about, you know, kind of telling you everything. You can gain perspective, but if someone say they know you like that, um, I would take that with a grain of salt. And and if, and if, if like I said, if I'm the project all the time, I think that could be codependence. Like, yeah, as long as you're up and I'm down, we're good. But there are some people, when you start doing better, they don't like you as much. They like you when you're in a position where they have to give the guidance perspective and you're, you're the project. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Uh I have in my lifetime, and I'm curious if you've ever done this, where you feel like I finally, I've, I think I've made it. I, I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect, but I've gotten to a place where I think I can help this person. I'm going to help to try to fix them. They're going to become my project. Have yeah. you ever, have you, have you been there or uh, maybe even reverse it? How about the people who take on that attitude towards you, Anthony? Well, one, I believe that we all need mentors. I mean, I help a lot of people with my company, uh, with my consulting. My co I'm a life coach. So, But even as a person who coaches others, I need to be coached as well. So I, I believe that you can actually learn from anyone. And, and in many cases, you can learn how not to do something. So, so I'm always a student of people. But again, back to that point, I, I do believe that there are people out there that just – um, they, they, they thrive on having a, a feeling of superiority. They, they thrive on having a feeling of, you know, I'm an expert as it relates to this. And, and in, the, in, the, in the analogy that we're using, you'll never graduate from their class because if you graduate, that means you don't need them anymore in that regard. You can never be peers. And so they're going to always find a way to say, well, you were kind of close, but, you know, we're going to, you know, we need to <laughs> circle back. So. So people like that where I, I could never graduate. Um, nah, I mean, come on. So I, I, I just I just have a different perspective on it. But God bless them all. 
Anthony Brinkley's my guest, and you can't run away from yourself, and we're going to be talking about that aspect. Uh, you can't run away from you is the title of his book. Uh, what website would you like them to go to so that they can continue to find out more, not only about you, but about the work that you're doing, and maybe even connect with you in terms of, uh, I don't know, I would assume that uh, you might even be willing to take on the role of mentor? Yes, um, they can go to www.chief anthonybrinkley.com chiefanthonybrinkley.com they can see about some of the other books i've written and some of the coaching things that we do and i appreciate you giving me an opportunity to talk about that but more than that i appreciate you great we'll be linked to your website as well chiefanthonybrinkley.com is our uh, website uh, for uh, this program and uh, anthony brinkley is my guest here on tell me your story new paradigms for a new world I'm Richard Dugan, and we come your way with new paradigms for a new world. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices right here on Tell Me Your Story, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com, and, of course, we have the podcasts on SoundCloud, which pops up with today's guest, number three on Google, which I think is very cool over on SoundCloud. But we're also on Spotify and TuneIn Radio and many other locations, and we are very grateful for uh, everybody's support, even if it's just through listening. And we're also on YouTube so that you can watch these programs. You can watch these videos of our guests. And uh, I think that uh, that adds another dimension to what we're trying to do here. People getting to know you, not just by voice, but visually as well. And we, we certainly hope that people will take advantage of that. Now, in terms of... Um, as I mentioned, going through personal growth programs of my own. They were those five-day intensives, you know, like you'd go a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Um, have you ever been through anything like that? I have. Um, well, well, I won't say specifically because I'm not, I don't, I don't know all the elements of the one that you, you went through. But I've gone through courses where, uh, you know, you go somewhere for a weekend, kind of like a retreat but the mm -hmm. retreat is focused on um, intrinsic things and reflection and, and mod modifying things that might not correspond with growth and development. So I have gone through those and I've, I've gleaned uh, a great deal, deal of value from those perspectives. How about uh, some of these um, retreats, uh, but solo? In other words, going off. Uh, so shall we use the metaphor? going off into the wilderness for 40 days and maybe you weren't gone for 40 days but those times where you are really trying to get into the silence so i would say this you know if you look at the number 40 you know, even from a biblical perspective it represents judgment and it, and it represents um and it represents um seasoning so you know for you know i'm not trying to preach to you but Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years and um, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And, and so there's a when you look at the number 40, it's, it's always a series. It's, it's a time of preparation before the great things that you do. Mm -hmm. So I have periodically taken set aside times in my life where I would say I'm going to designate this time to kind of prepare myself to to take away those things that I've become comfort comfortable with to prepare myself for the next thing. I, I don't, I believe in life. There's no elevation without preparation and consecration. So I believe that, you know, if you're really trying to do something significant, you have to go somewhere where you can hear that small voice and, and silence the voice in your own mind and silence the voice of the world, because 
Richard, what you and I are going to do, it's going to take much more because now I tell people this higher consciousness leads to higher consequence. And when you become more conscious about yourself and things that affect you and things that you can impact, then you have a greater ability to have a higher level of consequence in life for others. So you have to take that time to be diligent, uh, intentional and deliberate about getting away so you can hear what the next stage is and the next iteration of your life, life will be. I've heard the saying, you can't change others. But based upon what we've just discussed, it seems to me you can, but you don't do it intentionally and you don't necessarily do it consciously. That is not one's intent. When you go within, when you go within to listen to that still small voice, to try to get in touch with the real you and all of the real you, the immortal part of you, you then also change the outward part of you, and then that changes the people around you. Some people are going to, you're going to be like a magnet, and they're going to be drawn to you even closer. Then there are going to be others that are, you're going to be the reverse. You're going to be the, the opposite pole of them, and you're going to push them away, or they're going to push away from you because it's like, oh, that Anthony, I don't know. I, I think the guy's, I think he's out there. I'm, I'm going to get away from this guy because he's, I think he's nuts. And in a manner, and that's how we do change people. How, 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 uh, let's take a look at that from the standpoint of being a mentor. Um, have you done that, uh, consciously, intentionally through the coaching? Is that, is that part of the coaching process that you have created? Yeah, I, I, I go back to where you started the question and you said, your statement, you said like, you know, you can't change people or there's there might be maybe you can modify it a little bit i i would say that we all are free will moral agents we get to make our own decisions and so to me i don't believe that you can change anyone that i don't well I, I, whether you can change you i only make that the question okay the question the, the the statement i will make is if you care enough about someone and and you have a good relationship you're going to want to be better and if you're around people that challenge you and not beat you up because of your humanity, then they're going to listen to what you say and they're going to consider what you say. So um, but let me but the, the mentor part, I think a person that teaches you, they give you instructions, they help you along the path. But a mentor is the one that walks with you on the path. Mm. And so for me, um, to me, the, the true art to teaching is to teach people stuff without their without them knowing they're being taught. Because people's egos kick in, their arrogance, their different things that have nothing to do with applying information. So sometimes what a great mentor does is they understand how people take in and process information, their orientation to themselves, their orientation to the world. And they say, listen, on this journey, I might walk in front of you just to show you this way. I might walk beside you as we talk. I might walk behind you to help push you forward. So I think that mentor, they, 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 they serve different roles depending on where the mentee is. But the mentor-mentee the mentor -mentee relationship is built, is foundationally established on love, trust, respect, and empathy. Hmm. There is an aspect of your life I want to talk a little bit about as we continue here yes. on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World with Anthony Brinkley. He is the author of You Can't uh, Run Away from You. And that is absolutely true. No matter how far you run, you're still there. 
So, right. so uh, get used to it. Uh, I've lived with me for 60 years plus, and sometimes uh, I look in the mirror and I'm going, who is this guy? You know, where, where did this guy come from? What's with the beard and the mustache and all of this stuff and the bald head and the hat? And uh, then there are times when I'm going, I like what I see in the mirror. That's pretty cool. I, you know, uh, that's me. I, I recognize me. Uh, but I want to talk about something else in regards to your life, and that is your military career. And there are certain aspects we shared in the last program I want to dive into as well as we continue. Here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I hope that you will stay with us. We are talking with Anthony Brinkley. And ChiefAnthonyBrinkley.com's the website. We hope you'll go there. We will, and we are, are, we are linked to his website because we are number three on Google's uh, list when you search for Anthony Brinkley, and then also um, uh, uh, you can't run away from you, which is the title of his book and the website, uh, of course, ChiefAnthonyBrinkley.com. Uh, we're number three on that list, which is really very cool. Uh, going, taking you to SoundCloud. I wanted to touch upon, uh, as we continue here, on your military career, but there's an aspect of it that I find that I wish we could, we could integrate into civilian life. And that's the concept, if you will, and I know that it's usually only fostered uh, through experiences going into combat with your troop, whatever the whatever the name of the group of men is, no matter you know large or small, you have these brothers. As a matter of fact, they're probably even closer than brothers if you're going through combat to get combat together. Uh, the phrase "I have your six, number one. The other phrase is "We don't leave any man behind, dead or alive." And you have this camaraderie this connection, this fused personality, if you will, of the group that is so beautiful. That is one of the aspects that I'd like to talk about. Is that something that you'd work to try to uh, integrate into your mentoring, into your coaching? Because it seems to me so important that we begin to realize, A, we're not alone, and B, we can't get anywhere by ourselves. I mean, I'm here talking with you today because of thousands of people over the last 40 years in my career, let alone my parents who brought me into this world. Talk to us a little bit about that. So um, having the privilege to serve 28 years in the military was a distinct privilege and honor. Some of the things that I learned, as, as you talked about, the men and women that we serve with, most people don't know, but less than 1% of our nation will actually serve in the armed forces. And then if you look at the Air Force in particular, which I was a member of, less than two tenths of 1% actually serve the United States Air Force. And so for me, we, we didn't have time to talk about partisan affiliations. Um, you know, we have our political feelings, we have our different things, opinions on how things should work, how they shouldn't work. Unfortunately, um, that doesn't correspond with mission effectiveness when you have a mission and skill sets and, and parameters that you have to execute, especially in combat situation. So for me, um, I think if our government functioned as our military did and does, I think we would be a lot better off. And then, as you said, have someone having your six, 
Um, there, there are people that I am related to, and, and you, you know, you call them, you know, they're, they're your, they're your relations. But then there are people who you're not related to, and they become your family. So, um, you know, even though I, I see a lot of things that go on in our country that I don't really agree with, or I might become discouraged, when I look at the people who serve our nation, who do it um, behind the scenes, who do it in ways that most people can't even relate to, uh, who do it without seeking recognition, who do it with pride and dignity, and, and sometimes in, in places where they're fiscally challenged and they have resources that are constrained, and they continue to do that while managing their families. Um, I, I consider it an esteemed honor and privilege to have served with people like that. And so there's nothing I wouldn't do to continue to espouse and speak out in regards to the elements that make mil the military life um, one that, that can be effective, one can, that can help people with life in general. So thank you for allowing me to illuminate on something that's very important. And um, like I said, I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't see how my life would be immensely different if I had not served in the, United, the armed force of the United States of America. Now you chose the air force. Uh, any particular reason why that branch? Yeah. Um, I looked at the other branches and, um, you know, I, I've served with all, all all branches except for now the um, the Space Force, which came in its, its, its exception after I got out. Mm -hmm. But um, when I looked at some of the opportunities that I, I believe the Air Force could have afforded me, I just felt like it corresponded with what I was looking for at that point in life. But to be more to be more honest, the reason that I joined the Air Force was because in my family, when you turned eighteen, they broke your dinner plate and told you you had to find somewhere to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Air Force was the first one that said they would provide me three hots and a cot. And that was um, so I was on the first thing smoking, going to Lackland Air Force Base to start my career. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I uh, my parents didn't quite do that. I think I lived with my folks until I was uh, 21. And then I moved out. And what was interesting was I was actually the first one to move out of the house, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, to the consternation of my eldest sisters elder sisters who thought they should be the first ones. And it's like, well, yeah, but you guys got to go to Arizona State University. Uh, I can't remember if they lived at the dorms or if they came home every day or what. But all I know is when I moved out, I wasn't going back. And it wasn't because it was a bad place to be. It was like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it work. And away we go. And uh, so it was, it was quite an experience. We're talking with Anthony, Anthony Brinkley. ChiefAnthonyBrinkley.com is the website. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're talking about how you, and I mean you, uh, but also me in that you, you can't run away from you. And no matter how hard you try, you just can't do it. So why don't you stop running? And we'll talk about some methods uh, by which you can facilitate the process of getting to know who you really are as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. Anthony Brinkley is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. And I tell you what, Anthony, what you spoke about in the last segment about uh, the military experience and the brotherhood and the connection. Um, yeah, I, I have to say that if you, if you want to talk about the one percenters, you guys and gals are the one percenters because <laughs> you really have the great... I want to say the great wealth and prosperity that we all need, and it ain't in the paycheck. Uh, it's in what you uh, have uh, been allowed to be a part of that you chose to be a part of. In that 
form, I'm going to call it this, that form of civilization that the rest of us don't really experience. Now, I'm grateful that I have a family and siblings that I can call family. But at the same time, I do acknowledge that the people that have come into my life over the years who are not blood relatives are just as much family. And, and I, have, I am blessed in that respect. Uh, when you start taking a look at some of the, the situations that exist, not just in our country, but even around the world, I mean, even you said that you kind of cringe at some of the things that, that you see and, and, and you have your perspectives on the way things should be, as we all do. I mean, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you are trying to make this a better world for yourself and for others, how do you start doing that? Um, one, I, I want to start off with something about, you know, we talked a lot about the military. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about the military, and I'll hit one of them. Like, you know, we try to say, well, we pick people from from a social economic standpoint. Let me just say this. Some of the most innovative, um, insightful, determined, deliberate, creative people I've ever met in my life. And I've met a lot of people. Um, I met them in the military and, and they joined because of duty, service and some of the people that complain about things that have that have no value. They're able to live those lives of, of distraction because of what people who do, who serve in uniform. Um, I, I, just, I just wanted to say, uh, I just wanted to kind of address that. What was your question again? I lost. I, <laughs> I want to make sure I, I want to make sure I address your question right. Well, I wanted to say that part first. If I appreciate it. No, no, no. I, I absolutely appreciate that. Uh, and I'm glad you, that, that you dispelled that particular myth or, or rumor. No, I wanted to find out about uh, your perspective on changing the world and how you would okay. do that. I mean, we can't, on the one hand, I can't transform the world into what I want it to be globally, okay? Right. That's, that's dictatorial stuff, and I'm, I'm not going there. I, I tried doing that when I was, the, the first time I was operations manager at another station, and it was what I, what I referred to as my Hitlerian phase, okay? <laughs> and I found it didn't work, so I abandoned it rather quickly. But I wanted to make things better for not only the employees, but the programmers, as well as the listeners. So from your perspective as a mentor, as a coach, uh, as one who is trying to inspire people, uh, not so much what would you like to see the world look like, but how do you foster and inspire people to want to go out and change the world in, in such a way that it, it serves them and, and everyone else? Because I do believe that's possible. It may be utopian, but hey, what, I, what can I say? <laughs> well, I, 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 won't, I won't get an abstract or utopian or, or um, Pollyanna type things. I'll, I'll just put it this way. Mm -hmm. um, as I stated earlier, to me, when you have a high level of consciousness, it leads to a higher level of consequence. Okay. So, so the first thing is that it start, it's an internal job. It starts with you doing a little, us doing in, internal reflection. Where am I? Who am I? Um, what, what's the environment that I'm operating in? Reflection then turns to introspection. What can I do about it? How do I feel about it? What ability do I have to influence what I've reflected on? And then the, 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 the most, the highest state is correction, which, which leads to higher consequence. 
So to me, if you want to change the world, um, I don't look at it as changing the world. Matter of fact, the tagline for my company is increasing excellence one person at a time. Mm-hmm. So and, and the first person that you want to increase excellence with is yourself. And then the, and then there becomes concentric out, you know, circles that go outwardly. And then you start to ripple in everything that you affect, because um, once you once you start to uh, I tell people there is a difference between growing and swelling. They, they both look the same. They're both getting bigger, but one is actually being improved and one is being infected. So, so to me, sometimes we're so big, we're so big about let's get more people. Let's, let's, let's move this. Let's, let's get this bigger. And you're bringing the wrong people into whatever you're trying to do. And now it's, so now it's not, it's actually, it's growing bigger. It's getting bigger, but it's infected because you don't have corresponding values. You don't have corresponding thoughts. You don't have corresponding ways of looking at things. Not to say that you have to be, you know, you you know, one way, one mindset, monolithic, but I would just say how you change the world is you change the world that you exist in and you ensure that you hold yourself and those in your world accountable. And now as you do that, as they go out, they get to influence their circle. So I, I never wanted to be certain things in life. I wanted to influence those people because some of their jobs are just too much for me. I don't want that job. I want to influence the person in that job. So you change the world by changing yourself. You change the world by being understanding. You change the world by operating from where your location and, and being uncompromisingly dogged on your approach to living and loving. You used the word excellence in your tagline. Give us that tagline again. It is increasing excellence one person at a time. What does excellence mean? Is it perfection? No, I mean, perfection is just not an attainable um, it's not an attainable goal. Okay. So ex- excellence just means it's, you, you're always looking to improve. You're a perpetual student. Like my brother always says, persistence will always overcome resistance. So we have to be persistent in our pursuit to learn, to acquire, to grow, to glean. We have to be persistent in our pursuit to love. We have to be persistent in our p- pursuit to be a better listener. We have to be persistent in our pursuit to have more empathy. We have to be persistent in our, pr- in our uh, uh, approach. Are we coachable and are we approachable? So excellence in everything you put your hands on and you don't turn, you don't turn around to categorize and chronicle what you got wrong once you've learned the lesson. Mm-hmm. It's always pressing forward. And that kind of brings us to the to the uh, concept that uh, I have been working on of eliminating some words from our vocabulary, success and failure. No such thing. It's all learning. And that's really what you're talking about here. Because if you say success and failure, aren't you just categorizing it as you just described? Yeah, I, I don't believe I, I believe that, um, you know, school sometimes when you go to school, they get paid. They get a certain amount of dollars based on uh, how many how many students pass. That that keeps them accredited, which keeps them open. So if you have some students that, are, that might be borderline passing, but they need them to pass to keep their accreditation, they will give the, the schools will actually pass you. But life is not like that. Life will make you take the same test until you pass it. So to me, when you go through a circumstance and you don't get the desired result, you don't, you know, you don't have to internalize it from a standpoint and just continue to let it eat you from the inside out. You extract the lesson that's embedded in it. When you when you fail a pop quiz, the good thing about a pop quiz is a pop quiz has never been a final exam. So when you fail a pop quiz, you go back and you look at the questions you got wrong and then you learn from it. So yeah, I look at failure like it's just data. 
Yeah. That's all. And you learn from it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, always been using the Edison example of 990 ways that the light bulb didn't work. He didn't fail. He just found 990 right. ways it didn't work. And then he right. found the one that did. Right. And then in our century, in our 20th century, there was a man who improved upon, if you will, the light emitting device and created the light emitting diode, the LED, uh, which uses much less energy and doesn't generate the heat and so forth. It just fascinates me. And and he could not have created that if Edison hadn't done what he... What if Edison had given up at 989? Said, oh, forget it. This is ridiculous. I'm never going to get this. This is never going to work. We're just going to have to use torches <laughs> and... and pro. Uh, uh, um, and um, uh, uh, gas lanterns f for the next two centuries or three centuries, whatever. Uh, but he didn't. He just kept, he says, I'm going to do this. Now, what about that aspect of that fortitude and, and forging ahead regardless of the outcome as you move forward? Can you share with us a particular lesson that y you took? Let's just say you took the exam, the test, multiple times. And I use the word test in a generic sense, not necessarily in school. Uh, and maybe, for all I know, you're still working on it. But you're, you're, you're gaining, you're, you're adding the data that helps you to continue to forge ahead. You haven't said, throw your hands up, I give up. So, so I, I, I'll answer your question in a different way. Okay. Um, it's a good question. But I, I'll answer it this way from a concept standpoint. Mm -hmm. So what, I, what I've learned in life is that we all have unique talents and gifts, whether you embrace them or not. And most people will go to the grave with their, their talents unpacked. They didn't come to full term. Their talents are still born when they die. So when I look at when I look at trying to acquire, um, you know, gifts and fruits, it's like if you see a tree and you see fruit hanging off the tree, the fruit doesn't belong to the tree. The fruit belongs to everything around the tree. The tree will never consume the fruit that's on its limbs, but but that fruit will sustain that ecosystem around it. And what I found is when, when you're trying to do something for the first time and imagine there's some fruit hanging off the tree and people are starving under the tree, but it's a tenuous limb to get to that fruit. And you have the fortitude and determination to get on that limb. While you're on that limb, all of the naysayers or in the cheap seats, and they're telling you how you're doing it wrong while they're starving. So now you're doing something that no one's ever tried to do, and you're doing it on full display, and you're doing it in an uncertain environment, in a, in a volatile environment, but you know that that's needed to be done. But to me, going on that limb is emblematic of being vulnerable as you pursue your God-given gifts, your God-given talents, and then when you do that, you you have to silence the noise of the crowd because you're on that limb and there's no net under you. But when you get that when you get that fruit off the tree, everybody was complaining. They're going to come and ask you for a piece of that fruit. <laughs> and because you're the kind of person that you are, you're going to give them some. But hopefully one day, the next time they see some fruit hanging, they might be more inclined to, to, tr to climb that, that tree themselves and get it themselves in a way that only they could have done it. You know, you, you raise an interesting thought in my mind in that regard. Would you say that all of the men and women who 
have climbed aboard the various rockets and spacecrafts over the last 50, 60 years or so who lost their lives in the pursuit of space travel, if we could tap into them today, they would say that their sacrifice, they willingly did this for the collective. In other words, their consciousness was at a level where they understood the risks, but they also understood the benefits that could be gained from their participation in this endeavor. You think that they would all be saying that? Well, I would say I'll even, I think that's a great example, but I'll, I'll go back to like the people in the civil rights movement. Okay. And the people who knew that speaking up or challenging us to be um, corresponding with what we put on paper as a collective body. And they knew that there was peril associated with, so it could be the space program, it could be civil rights, it could be being an advocate for people who might feel disenfranchised. I, I just believe that sometimes we look at death like, you know, like it's the end, but it's not the end. It's just, you run your race. To me, life is like a marathon, but it's a sprint. And you run until you're tired. Like Dr. Martin Luther King lived to be about 39 years old, but he lived a full life. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and so and so when he finished, he handed stuff off to people like you and me. There was time that people like you and me, we wouldn't even be on a program like this talking to people all over America. So to me, death, um, just because someone dies does not mean it's the end of their dream. Just because someone, they, they took risk and they stood out on something that was great himself because they had a higher, to me, when you have something like there are people that's in my family, um, that's, that's, that's watching this. And, 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 and if you said, if you had to lay your life down for, you know, for people that you love, would you do it? They would say yes in a New York minute. So, so to me, it's not how, how you died it's how you live. Yeah. And that's why yeah. think about this and I'll go and I'll give it back to you. Okay. Think about this. There were there were millions of people who were against Dr. King, who had law, who had precedent, who had um, legislation on their side, and they had institutions backing their point of view. Millions of people, and they had platforms, but yet you couldn't name hardly any of them now because they were inconsequential as it relates to history today. And so I would say that to you to say sometimes we look at our foes and when we look at our foes, we take our eye off of our destiny. So keep mm. every day in America, 7,000 people die. Mm. So, but how many of us are still living? And there are a lot of people that are dead. They're like a dead man walking, unisex, universal man or woman. So I say to you, death, where is your sting? Mm hmm if you live and you and you just showed up, no, it's not about that. It's about Richard, you and I pulling off our pain, pulling off our failures, pulling off our victories, pulling off the aspirational things and saying this country represents an opportunity to be the best that we can be. And if we and if we die in the pursuit of it, then it was a life well lived. I want to ask you about. And this is in relation to uh, what you brought up in terms of the civil rights movement. 
your perspective, and especially as a black man, in terms of what is perceived by many, and I might be among those who would say this, who um, are concerned about the, and this is not denying history, please don't get me wrong here, but who are, are concerned about what they see as the victimhood that continues to perpetuate the uh, oppressed minorities of this country, let alone around the world. And I was talking with uh, another woman who I interviewed. She was also of color, and she, she said she, doesn't, she has absolutely no use for that. She doesn't, her mind does not go there. 400 years of oppression, etc., etc., and that I am owed this, and so on and so forth. And it's not to say that she wouldn't be in favor of the uh, the uh, um, the uh, uh, the movements that you've referred to. But her focus is not on victimhood, but if you will, on freedom and inspiration and so forth. Can you address that aspect? And there are there are many groups down through history. I mean, I come from the Irish. I've got Irish in me and the Irish who came over here. And we also had the Chinese, the Native Americans, obviously the, the blacks from Africa and other parts of the world. And even in our day and age today, people are attacking the Asians because they think that the Asians uh, that are living here in the United States, who are probably even American citizens born and raised here, uh, are guilty of some crime because of the coronavirus. Can you address the, the aspect of victimhood and its legitimacy or illegitimacy in the const context of what you do as a mentor and as a coach. So here's the thing. People, they want to, people want to look at history like history does not affect where we are today. Mm -hmm. um, I don't subscribe to that. I think that you know, we're, we're in a different reference point in many regards, but let's look at it. So I was on a, I was on a show with this lady and she said, do you think that America has systematic racism? And she basically tried to set me up and I thought she was unethical. I mean, not her question. I think that, you know, she, she gave, she gave a long diatribe on uh, her perspective on mm -hmm. it, but I said, let's look at America. How was America founded? Mm -hmm. America was founded where, people of color were enslaved and then people they say we was like people that came here were slaves they weren't slaves they were geometricians they were doctors they were nurses they were enslaved and so they had talents they had different types of things they could do but let me just get back to my point so then so i said when you look at institutional systematic you have to look at the system and how that system was established mm -hmm. i said for example women most women couldn't vote until 1919 when suffrage came about and then the rest of the women that couldn't vote, couldn't vote till the sixties when the civil rights act was passed. So when people try to say that um, things that happened before they don't have a corresponding effect, I say that that would be in some cases disingenuous. And in some cases, maybe they're, they're showing their ignorance because, you know, people go back to slavery, but did Jim Crow that didn't end until almost like 60 years ago. So I, I gave this example of, um, they say, well, how do you feel about um, how do you feel about um, affirmative action? I said, I think affirmative action is wrong. 
in any form to take people for arbitrary reasons, give them positions, give them jobs, move them up just on some reason that you pick up. I said, but in the con, but you put the content in the context. Uh, America was founded on affirmative action. Non-qualified white people kept getting jobs that they weren't qualified for because of laws that we had in place. Mm -hmm. So I said, you can't just say it's wrong now and it wasn't wrong 400 years ago. So the experiment I used was that this, now I don't consider myself a victim, but I consider myself a study of American history. I defended this country. I still would defend this country. I look at a person of a different background like you, and we're having a great dialogue. But I'll use the example of affirmative action. So Richard, you put me in a room for 100 years. I put you in a room for 100 years. You give me technology, innovation, creativity, access to different things that's going on. I leave you in a room for 100 years with nothing. And then we end the experiment. You're 100 years behind, four generations behind. So things that have been inculcated into certain parts of our communities um, are foreign to other folks because they were denied opportunities. So to suggest that people can't overcome challenges, I don't think that's true. You can't overcome. But to suggest that there weren't challenges put in place because of things that we got wrong, our forefathers said it this way, to paraphrase, we endeavor to form a more perfect union, which is emblematic of saying periodically we must evaluate where we are as a corporate body and see if there's things we can do better. There's a lot of things we're doing well, and there's some things we need to modify. So I would just say, let's be open minded. Let's have a good dialogue. And, and like Dr. King said, let's just be the America that we put on paper. I Wow. That's that is very well said. And uh, I, at first I thought. He's not really answering my question, but boy, you did. You came around the other side there and, and nailed it down, and I thank you for that. Uh, because there are more examples, and I'm seeing wonderful stories on the news of people who have, uh, in spite of the lack of opportunities that should have been available to them, they found ways around the lack of opportunities by making their own. And uh, they have begun to live out what some might call the American dream. I do find it fascinating how uh, some folks, and we may have touched on this in our last program, they will, they will uh, be very self-centered in terms of their constitutional rights. I have a constitutional right to do this and that and the other thing, right? But they're forgetting about what it says in the Declaration of Independence in the preamble. It talks about uh, how we are here to promote the general welfare. The mm. general welfare. That means the welfare of all. And to secure the blessings of liberty to not just ourselves, but our posterity our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. I am one of the most fortunate individuals, Anthony. I am a great uncle. And my parents, my parents are great grandparents, which means there are four generations living today. And that hasn't happened for a, a good probably 20 or 30 years when my great grandmother on my mother's side before she passed. And I don't know why that means so much to me to have four generations living, but it does. My dad is 90 years old this year. 
I just spoke with them yesterday, and they're both doing well. Um, my my brother purchased for my father an exercycle. I don't know if it's Peloton or not. All I know is my mother says, hey, gets on for 30 minutes, and then he gets off, and he's pedaling away. She still goes out and does yoga and all of these. She's 87, and they're doing great. And they have created a legacy and a lineage three generations deep. And like I said, I don't know why that seems to impact me in the way that it does. Uh, but those kinds of milestones are, are quite impressive. Uh, and I know, too, that there are families just like ours, only instead of living, my parents have their own place. They have a condo in Phoenix. And their daughter and her husband, they have a place in Scottsdale, Arizona. And my sister's daughter has a place. I'm not sure where she's living, if it's Mesa or Tempe, but they're all in the Phoenix metro area with her children, who are the great-grandchildren. Whereas in a lot of families, all three or four generations are living in one, one home, right? And... They take care of one another. This kind of goes back to what you were describing to us in terms of that military experience. Those kinds of families, I would have ask you, do you think those kinds of families who are all living under one roof, and again, we're not talking about being crowded. We're talking about there's, there's enough room for everybody, but you've got multiple generations living that that can really foster that aspect of community and support and be having each other's six, if you will? I think I think the family construct is the, the foundational element of our lives. And and then as we talk about how different things have gone on, I believe um, that wasn't my experience. Um, you know, my great grandfather, he was part Cherokee Indian. Um, he died not too long after I was you know becoming an adolescent. And then, but his father was a slave. And so, and so for me, um, when I, when I learned, when I got exposed to certain things in my life, um, that's why the book came out because there were certain elements from my family that were extracted. And I spent maybe a better part of my formative years trying to acquire what you just spoke on. And, and, and sometimes you don't know what you need. You just feel like something's missing. And I think when we disintegrate, when we, we kind of deconstruct our families and we don't have those things getting passed down or being discussed, or we get so caught up in the American dream, getting all you can, canning all you get, and then sitting on the can, we miss out of the things that make life worth living. Yeah. Um, when, you, when people are sitting around their deathbed, they're not going to chronicle or categorize what they amassed. And, and, I, and I would just say to you, Richard, with the platform that you have, um, we need to have these these I don't call them hard discussions because you just said, it. like you said, we talked about the posterity piece. I think until we can normalize um, having regular discussions. Yeah. And then and then conceptualize what we said as a as a founding body, um, what our country is supposed to be on. So, yeah, um, maybe one of the reasons I was so I'm open to people like you and some of my military family was because growing up, um, I was in a fight for my life, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually. And then when I saw people who came from more structured and stable backgrounds, they provided structure and stability for me. Mm. And so, again, we might sometimes we victimize and we talk about the victimization things. 
you have people who haven't grown up with certain social graces and they're angry and they're frustrated, but they miss being a part of something. And so sometimes we just focus primarily on their bad behavior. Yeah. We may not be able to get to the genesis of what's caused that malignancy to grow and fester within them, affecting those around them. I am so um, moved by some programs that I have been watching of late. I was watching with my wife a movie that, unfortunately, was interrupted by a power outage. So we're going to go back and probably start it from the beginning. But it's the, the inner city life of these black men and boys, adolescents and, and teens and adults, who are involved in caring for horses. Now, I personally do not know the history but from what the movie was talking about, and, and I myself tend to, tend to uh, agree with what's being told me until I can find other information that either counters it or supports it. And they were talking around this, it was actually a campfire that was a fire that was inside of a barrel that had been cut down and they're sitting in chairs and they're all, they're all black Americans. They're talking about, and they're all wearing cowboy hats and they're talking about the first cowboys and they were saying that the first cowboys were black. They weren't white. That's true. And it and 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 of course, you know, when I first started watching the movie, I thought, boy, that's kind of weird, you know. I mean, I've <laughs> never even seen uh, folks on. I mean, I have seen uh, blacks on horseback. I mean, it's nothing uh, uh, unusual, but it's not the norm, if you will. And then they started talking right. about this, and they're saying they're talking about the history. And they, one thing that really struck me, there was a scene in there where the young teen, his name was, um, oh, he was a jazz musician, um, Cole, oh, not Porter, maybe it was. Anyway, um, there was a horse that had escaped, and it was a little bit on the wild side, and the, his father was telling him, get in there with, this, with, this, with the reins here and hook it. And you have to take control. You've got to, you've got to show no fear, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they defined the word breaking in terms of breaking a horse. And it wasn't about uh, uh, subduing the animal. It was about becoming one with the animal. And again, all of this was foreign to me as I'm watching this. And I'm sitting here thinking... They know what the heck they're talking about. And then there, there's this group of white guys uh, over off, way off to the side with beards and so forth, just watching. They, they weren't even doing anything to help to try to corral this horse. And yet these folks who were running this uh, 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 corral, if you will, for, for uh, horses, they had all linked hands to make a, a human fence because they knew that the horse wouldn't, wouldn't charge through human beings. At least that's the theory. I, I assume that's true. But the young boy, he went up there and slowly but surely he was able to hook the leash, uh, the leash, the, the reins. And then his father says, get up on the horse. Now we're talking bareback. Mm -hmm. And the young man got up on the horse. Now this supposedly, this movie was based upon a true story. And I believe right. this was in Philadelphia. And the kid gets up on the horse and just sits there. He just sits calmly. And the horse is just calm and then it starts to rain and he just it's like i mean it was like a sign from heaven so to speak and what the 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 drama behind the scenes was that 
there was a real estate company that was basically going to turn that whole area into development because these people were only renting the property. And that's when the power went out. (laughs) So we don't know what the... I am going to assume it was a good ending where they either A, got to keep the area and get it fixed up, or B, get relocated to a space where they could be free to do whatever it is that they needed to do for these horses who needed homes. But the story of blacks involved in uh, raising horses, training horses, becoming one with them. But even more importantly, what you talk about in your coaching, in your mentoring, getting to know themselves. I, I, am, I am so grateful to see some of these things now that we weren't seeing just a few years ago. What are your thoughts about your, your heritage and, and, and your um, history, if you will, of, uh, of the, the black experience, if you will, going back not just 400, but five or six? Because I had heard, am I correct as far as uh, uh, that, that it was the Africans? Uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago who had great educational institutions and, and the list goes on of the accomplishments that we don't even recognize because it's not taught anymore. Because it's, I don't know, maybe it's, it is being hidden from us. It's being suppressed. What are your thoughts about that in terms of now we're starting to learn of this wonderful, rich history? Well, it's funny that you say that. I have a friend named Linus Jordan. I'll have to send him the clip when once you download it, because he's a he's like he's like I'm gonna get you to wear cowboy boots and hats and this and that. And Linus, uh, he owns a ranch in um in Louisiana. He has steer. He has um, all kinds of livestock. He rides horses, and he the same thing you said. Like a lot of people didn't know what um, you know people of color have done in this country as far as being cowboys and training people on how to break horses and do things of that nature and not abuse them. Um, he's like, yeah. And, and so to your, to your thing, um, if you go back to the, to, you know, we had a movement for decades in this country and the movement was about treating people with dignity, with equity, with consideration, not, not raising one up at someone else's expense. And that movement was simply called the civil rights movement. And it was based on civility. It wasn't based on you owe me this. It was based on if if we treat each other a certain way, we wouldn't owe each other. The good book says, owe no man nothing but to show them love. And I think if we we call ourselves a Christian nation, but but sometimes in action, it doesn't really correspond with that. So I would ask some people need to really question what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Back to what you were saying, um, a lot of people talk about how folks were coming up, came over here. That's why I said to you earlier, people in this country, they were brought in as they, they weren't brought in as slaves. They were enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about people who built and, 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 you know, they wove and they wove silk and they built the pyramids and they had to have understanding of geometry and, and things that were very precise. Um, I think those are things that have to be celebrated. A lot of times in our country, we, we look at, the history of our country as far as people of color is that it started with, with uh, slavery and that's just not accurate. So I would just say simply as you take, you know, pride in the heritage and the traditions that you have as an Irish American, um, I, I take similar pride in the fortitude and the things that we had to overcome. I mean, you know, like they had the famines over there in Ireland. 
back and that people had to overcome many things and deal with pestilence. And they did. So I think there's lessons to be extracted from our challenges and there's lessons that we can all learn from each other. But I tell people too, you know, half of learning is learning and the other half is unlearning. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes we have to evaluate what we've been taught about each other. We have to evaluate what we've been taught about ourselves. And I think if we do that um, and then look at what, what was done that wasn't right, regardless of what side of spectrum, regardless of what discussion point is, regardless of what race of people it is, and if there's something that we could do, as you said, to help the posterity moving forward, I think those are things that we need to look at, not because you owe me or I owe you. It's because what is right and what helps us as a collective. Because one of the things I said tell you about the military and many of the people that's on this call, um, once you send this out, they're veterans. And, and I remember when I deployed to a war zone and I told them, I said, listen, they're not going to try to kill every black, every white, every Jew, every agnostic, every Christian. They're going to try to kill every American that they see. And every moment that we spend being divided over things that make absolutely no sense or, or not trying to do the things that help us stay focused is a moment that takes away from us getting back home to our families. Yeah. So I, I so I would just say, um, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I'm honored to be have the lineage that I have because of um, what I've learned. But I'm also honored to be a part of uh, a, a forum with someone like you who we can have discussions on things and learn and get clarity from one another. And I think that's the genesis and that's the proliferation that will turn into the fruit that will manifest itself into us being a more perfect union. Well, I, I am honored not only to know you as Anthony uh, Brickley, uh, but also to know you as a black man whose heritage has, has literally built this country. Uh, this country wouldn't be where it is today if it weren't for Uh, unfortunately, I want to say in one sense, unfortunately for the fact that that your ancestors uh, were the ones who were put to work to build, but also my ancestors and Chinese ancestors and Native American ancestors. I mean, I did my DNA testing. Turns out that I'm also, uh, I I have a good portion of my uh, DNA as part of Native American, North, Central, and South American Indian. Uh, so I have a connection there. I've got 1%, 1% Eastern European Jew, <laughs> for whatever that's worth, okay? Um, but um, it seems to me that the more we dialogue and the more that we begin to understand where someone else is coming from, the more we understand ourselves and then maybe we can make some progress in our civilizations. Would you say that, that if we had been doing that for the last 40 or 50 years, that we as a nation might be a heck of a lot further along? Because it seems to me like all we do is we, we go this way, then back this way, and this way, and this way, and this way, and this way, and, this way, and we don't really get anywhere. Well, I would say unequivocally that if we did what you said, we would be better. But, but, but let me talk about something that, that might be sensitive for some people. It's not sensitive for me. Okay. Um, a lot of people, they, 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 it's not as simple as saying has to have a discussion. It is for you and I. But a lot of people, because of policies and procedures and platforms, they, they didn't want to hear what people had to say until, you know, Dr. King said the arc of, of justice, it bends, you know, the arc of history bends towards justice. And, but it, it bends slowly. So I'll give you an example of like, why is this hard? So people talk about the flag issue. 
and I, I defended my country and, you know, people are kneeling through the flag. And I think, like you said, it's about understanding why people do what they do. So I, I, I'll illuminate this quickly. Um, I've never taken a knee for the flag, but I fought for people's ability to speak on things in their own way. America was founded on protest. If you go back to King George and the tariffs and different things associated, no taxation without representation, other things of that nature, mm-hmm. America was founded on protest. So when there was things going on in our country that people felt weren't fair, someone said, well, what's the best way that I can address this? So somebody thought, hey, what if I take a knee? And, and, it's, and its context is very significant. So people say, well, you shouldn't protest the American flag. I said, I agree to an extent. I said, but your, 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 your language is wrong. You're saying you shouldn't protest the American flag. It's not protesting the American flag. It's protesting during the American flag. It's during the national anthem. You're not protesting the national anthem. So what people yeah. who want to be divisive, they take something that is a form of protest at the time that they chose. You could disagree with the time that they chose to do it. Sure. I, I, I wouldn't argue that. But they weren't protesting the national anthem. They were protesting during the national anthem, which is a whole different discussion. Now, let me let me go to this. Mm-hmm. When a person I'm talking about why people couldn't have this discussion, you and I have because they weren't allowed. So I mistreat you, Richard, and then you find the most respectful way to 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 eloquent to elocute your 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 discord, and you say, okay, let me think about taking a knee. If a person, typically in our our culture, if they if they want to propose to somebody and say, I'm gonna, you know, I want with you and I to share our lives together, they will get down on one knee and say, listen, this is a solemn moment. Back in the days of knights, if someone got bestowed honors, they would take a knee (laughs) and then they would have honors bestowed upon them. Yes. When people, many people go before their God, whichever their God is, Mm -hmm. and they want to go in a reverential way, they will take a knee and say, I am bowing myself in humble submission, and then we will move on from that point. So to me, the most noble and reverential form of expressing yourself and espousing points is taking a knee yet because people don't want to understand and, and, and understand and reflect on why people took a knee during the national anthem, not protesting the national anthem. They've allowed that to be a red herring and discussion has never taken place. I have many good friends of mine who are on the wrong side of this issue because they think that these people are un-American and I'm like, they're just as American as the people Patrick Henry, who said, give me liberty or give me death. They're just as American as the founding. So so I say all of that to say that. So 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 in other words, not only can I not um, address, excuse me, you can't you don't want to hear my concern about the protest. It's not even what I have to say. You don't like how I'm doing it. So I have no venue, excuse me, no venue or no no avenue or no recourse because you're telling me go go back, shut up and go dribble that basketball, and I think so. I think sometimes people they come up and they just say they say things out of ignorance, and then some people aren't being ignorant. They're being they're being deliberately dis- disingenuous to try to change this discussion. So a person that takes the knee or a person that don't take the knee, I would defend them just the same as long as they don't do something that's disruptive. You know, my wife and I. We saw that 
what you described, we saw that, we felt that uh, um, respect, if you will. I mean, it's kind of the way I want to put this. When the, you, know, you, you may be absolutely right in terms of they may not have chose the right time, okay, but when they took that knee and people are still doing it to this day, in my, this is my perspective, they are showing reverence for this country. Exactly. Because what would be another form of trying to uh, uh, get attention? Well, we see it and we saw it last summer. Rioting. Exactly. Destroying. That- that, that's, that's, Richard, not, that's not Richard, showing respect. That, that, that's what happens. Yeah. But, but people have to understand something. Yeah. So I was doing a radio show and they said, well, Anthony, you have to be upset with the violence. And I said, first of all, I don't espouse violence. I don't espouse. I said, but you can pick whatever side of the argument you're on. And there are people who handle it horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. I said, but what you need to understand is um, I don't I don't expect I don't respect it. But I understand it. Yeah. When, when people feel like they don't have a voice and they don't feel like they have an appropriate way, then they're going to find inappropriate ways because they feel like they don't have a way to convey themselves. Yeah. So I tell people, instead of looking at riots or different things that happened like in January this year or happened last summer, reverse engineer everything that led up to it where people said, I don't want to hear anything you have to say mm-hmm. or, 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 or go, go over in this corner or whatever. If we want to change something, we have to go back and look at what was the genesis. Why did you feel like you had to take a knee? Not whether take a knee is right or wrong. Right. Because if we if we start to address this, I'll get off my knees. But there are some people standing up that didn't take a knee that feel just as strong as people taking a knee. I don't want to make this about taking a knee. I'm making a point about what people have to feel heard. Even if they don't, even if you don't agree with what they're mm-hmm, saying, mm-hmm. there has to be a venue where people can at least be considered. Yeah. You know, I have been uh, 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 connecting with people on LinkedIn, which is one of the, the only social media, if you want to call it social media sites, uh, that I'm connected with and that I'm there on a fairly regular basis. And I will scroll through some of the postings. And I've reported some of the postings as being totally inappropriate for LinkedIn. This is not what LinkedIn is about. And I would report them and some would get pulled and others would say, no, this doesn't violate our rules. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what? I may disagree with what the posting is, but I don't have to do anything about it. I can just scroll past it and go to the next thing. And I thought, you know what? Why would I waste my energy? I mean, I say that all the time on this program. Don't waste your energy fighting things that mean absolutely nothing, that are so irrelevant to what is really important. And so I stopped doing that. I said, you know what? I can't, I can't get all of them, um, but what I can do is I just, I just scroll past them. Just like I don't watch certain channels on TV or radio programs on the radio uh, or on the Internet, certain podcasts, I don't, I don't go there. I don't need to fill my head with that stuff. Uh, so I think people need to learn that. Anthony Brinkley is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. We are talking about his work, his work as a mentor, as a coach, a life coach, what are some of the other titles? I know you're ex-military, you know, you're former military uh, Air Force. Uh, but what other titles do we want to uh, associate with uh, Anthony Brinkley uh, when people go to ChiefAnthonyBrinkley.com? Author, I, I author. I, <laughs> yeah, author. Uh, I, I think the title that matters the most is just a person who's trying to leave this earth better than he found it. 
And Richard, mm-hmm. I just believe that, um, you know, to me in life, and I, I challenge your listeners, it's easy for me. It's a lot of people who said things that are um, that I disagree with, but if they have a great amount of passion, it's up to me to try to figure, figure out why they felt that strongly about it without having a judgmental uh, perspective. So I, I just believe, Richard, you know, the thing that bothers you the most is where your ministry is. You know, you see people who deal with children that's been abused. A lot of time they witness something as a pre-adolescent or as a child. Um, you know, I dealt with a lot of different things growing up and that, that led me to want to help other people. So I would just say, take your pain and let it fuel you into helping somebody else along their path. Don't let it burn you internally. Don't let it scorch you. Don't let it scorch other people. Don't don't have a charred earth mentality as it relates to, you know, the people that you come into contact with. And I believe if we just take the pain that we've had um, in, in, in the right amount of dosages and temper it with love and temper it with compassion and temper, temper with understanding and then temper it with turning that into actionable items that can affect somebody else, then I believe we have a chance to lead us better. Um, God didn't mm. put us on this earth to just get upset and do nothing about it. He put us on this earth to once we become better, uh, we'd be, we be on the giving end of the spectrum. I have to tell you how much I appreciate you and the work that you're doing uh, and sharing that with us here on the program today. And I'm going to ask you three questions. I asked you at the end of our last interview. And the reason I ask again is because sometimes those answers change. They may not. And you may have addressed them during this program, but as I always say, I like to ask the questions pointedly just the same. So if you don't mind, uh, the first of the three questions uh, I'm going to ask you, I will ask you in just a moment because I need to remind our listeners that this program, uh, Tell Me Your Story, is New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com as well as uh, this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we encourage you to go to our guest's website, which is chiefanthonybrinkley.com. We will be linked to his website so that you folks can continue uh, to grow and expand through the work that, uh, that he is doing as well. And I hope that you will do just that. We also hope that you will go to our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and uh, other locations you folks are reposting to. And go to YouTube. Please do that. Go to YouTube and uh, take a look and listen to the interviews via video format. Uh, we thank Zoom for providing that format. I think it's it's really very, very cool that uh, we are able to, to do this. And uh, we also ask that you... Um, uh, you uh, uh, support us if you can financially. We would greatly appreciate any support you can give us. Uh, we have a PayPal and a Patreon account for your security as well as ours. So we thank you for doing that. We also would like you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. Go within. Anthony's been talking about throughout throughout the program in terms of how you can't run away from you. That's the title of his latest work. He has other books as well. You're going to want to check out on his website, chiefanthonybrinkley.com. But spend that time listening to that still small voice and finding that quiet, 
peaceful place where you can recharge and re-energize and refocus your attentions on today, the day's, the day's tasks ahead. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a great way to start your morning or any time throughout the day. Uh, you can, you can uh, just, just take a few minutes. Five minutes. How, how, how much is five minutes? Come on, really. So first question, Anthony, of the three that I love asking as we wrap up our program and our time together here, who is Anthony Brinkley. Um, he's just a guy on 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 his journey. Um, I believe that we were put on this. This is just a blip on the radar as far as um, time goes. And to me, this journey is to to get us to what happens after this. And I'm I'm just a guy walking home. And 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 I meet you on my walk home, and we talk about where we're going, our lives, our perspectives, our values. And hopefully um, by the end of the day, we, we kind of walk to a certain point and then we diverge because my journey's going this way, yours going other day, but we, we, we've taken something from each other and now we're going to help people. But at the end of the day, um, I hope to see you at home when I get home, when, when the day is done. So I'm just a guy trying to learn from his mistakes, grow from his circumstances and um, meet people as they walk home and, and see them when they get home. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Um, simply stated, I just want people to, to, to do what they came here to do. And the first thing is just accept who you are. Uh, be unapologetically you. And when you, become, when you become unapologetically you, you don't spend one modicum of time, one iota of energy trying to conform and contort yourself to something you weren't designed to be. Your greatness is in your uniqueness and your uniqueness is coming in it, it, from accepting who you are, embracing who you are and exploiting the gifts and cultivating the talents. So my, my thing is if a guy like me who's done many things to sabotage his own life or short circuit things and then allow people like you to speak into my life to help me kind of get back on the path. If I can be, if I can have a level of success and significance and impact, then then I've basically taken away everyone else's excuse because I'm the least qualified person to do what I'm doing, but I will continue to do it by the grace of God. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to let people know that this ain't it, man. Um, that this, like I said in my first answer, you know, my faith is important to me. And, and I, I've, I've experienced the hand of God in my life. I've experienced the influence of God in my life. And if you don't have this, this, this world is very difficult to live in. You know, that's just, that's not no newsflash. <laughs> without God, it's almost impossible. So if you haven't taken the time, like you said, Richard, to quiet your mind, to go separate yourself and let the creator speak into you, um, you know, that, that walk home is going to be a long, hard walk. And you may end up in a place that you didn't really want to be. So if I can help somebody on their way, if I can help somebody make their path easier, and if I can introduce them to the God that's changed my life, then um, my life would not have been in vain. Anthony Brinkley, thank you so much for giving us, uh, again, so much time here on the program to share your story and uh, uh, your life as a life coach and a mentor, as well as an author. 
as well as, uh, and you did a nice job of preaching here on the program today, and I thank you so much for that. Uh, I grew up in this business at a Christian radio station, and I have to tell you that when I worked Saturday and Sundays, when we did the, the, whether it was the Pentecostal or the Southern Gospel or whatever other black churches that we had on the air or music programs where they featured many of the wonderful black gospel groups and singers like Shirley Caesar and the Winans and so forth. I got to tell you, I, 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 when I hear them sing, it just, I just have such a warm feeling like, oh man, that's like home. Because that's what I, I listened to that for 15 years when I worked at that station. And it's just, uh, for me, it's like going home and I love it. In spite of the fact that I was, I was born and raised Roman Catholic. <laughs> okay. We didn't have a lot of that wonderful singing and dancing and what have you uh, and beautiful music. Uh, and I have to tell you that I grew to just really, I really grew to love it. So uh, it's, uh, thank you again for, uh, for sharing from your pulpit today. Oh no! It's my honor, Richard. And again, um, you know, we—I think, as I told you the first time we interviewed, this is part of an ongoing discussion, dialogue, um, friendship. And, and you have, um, you know, I just want to encourage you as we, you know, depart today. You have a serious platform. Too much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. So you have to guard your energy and make sure that, regardless of what you get exposed to, that you continue to promulgate those things that that build up and help people develop a reservoir so when times get hard, they have something to extract from. Thank you for those words. I really greatly appreciate them. I also thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World, a broadcast, podcast, and videocast. Until our next get-together, love to love.